Welcome to Bible News Press. Our goal is to discuss biblical faith beyond cliches and buzzwords, whether such words are religious or political. Sometimes we sit around the table and fellowship. Sometimes we do a little time travel. It is all part of our journey with our Abba Father, who has given us the key to life. We do it with Jesus, and we do it together. Welcome. Hello, I'm Laura. I will be reading Hosea chapter 13 from the World English Bible. When Ephraim spoke, there was trembling. He exalted himself in Israel, but when he became guilty in Baal, he died. Now they sin more and more and have made themselves molten images of their silver, even idols according to their own understanding, all of them the work of the craftsmen. They say of them, they offer human sacrifice and kiss the calves. Therefore, they will be like the morning mist and like the dew that passes away early, like the chaff that is driven with the whirlwind out of the threshing floor and like the smoke out of the chimney. Yet I am Yahweh your God from the land of Egypt, and you shall acknowledge no God but me, and besides me there is no Savior. I knew you in the wilderness, in the land of great drought. According to their pasture, so they were filled. They were filled, and their heart was exalted. Therefore they have forgotten me. Therefore I am like a lion to them. Like a leopard I will lurk by the path. I will meet them like a bear that is bereaved of her cubs and will tear the covering of their heart. There I will devour them like a lioness. The wild animal will tear them. You are destroyed, Israel, because you are against me, against your help. Where is your king now that he may save you in all your cities and your judges of whom you said, Give me a king and princes? I have given you a king in my anger and have taken him away in my wrath. The guilt of Ephraim is stored up. His sin is stored up. The sorrows of a travailing woman will come on him. He is an unwise son, for when it is time, he doesn't come to the opening of the womb. I will ransom them from the power of Sheol. I will redeem them from death. Death, where are your plagues? Sheol, where is your destruction? Compassion will be hidden from my eyes. Though he is fruitful among his brothers, an east wind will come, the breath of Yahweh coming up from the wilderness, and his spring will become dry, and his fountain will be dried up. He will plunder the storehouse of treasure. Samaria will bear her guilt, for she has rebelled against her God. They will fall by the sword. Their infants will be dashed in pieces, and their pregnant women will be ripped open. That is the end of chapter 13. I'd like to begin here by reviewing a few things. One, no one is good enough, righteous of their own balance of behavior to escape judgment, to escape justice for what is due for breaking the law of God, which is somewhat differentiated from the law that Moses gave the nation of Israel, but the law of God, which stands for all that is good and beautiful. None of us has avoided breaking it. Everyone all have sinned and deserve what justice is due for that. And look at Romans 3.12 and Isaiah 64.6. Two, however, we can have faith in God's character and promises, 
promises we hear about as early as when Abel is offering the correct sacrifice, which represents belief in the promise of salvation, something that he provides, that God provides. See 1 Peter 2.25. Three, those with this faith in God and his promises and who he is were already suffering under the corruption going on in the time of Hosea. The corruption was in individual hearts, hearts set on the things of the flesh, indicating that they made these choices, as Paul speaks about in Romans 8, verses 5-7. through But there is the collective effect of this corruption on how business was conducted and how people were treated. That is, the corrupt people held sway by numbers and by influence. For In this fallen, sin-corrupted world, there is suffering simply because of the general condition. Not only does everyone physically die, except for those of the church who are alive when Jesus Christ returns, but physical death happens also to those with faith in Jesus Christ until then, and there are other troubles that affect us that are not directly related to our own sin and choices, illnesses, other people's choices, whether Such things should remind people of sin and their need for God. They are also used, read Romans 8.28, for good for those who love him. And we learn and can grow in relationship with him in the face of these troubles. Five, none of Hosea is written or understood in isolation of other scriptures. The historical counts are referred to, giving context and understanding, and Hosea is also quoted in the New Testament, helping us understand how to view it. Six, the word nations that is often used in Bible translations means both peoples and how the peoples are functioning together. Sometimes you can think of that in terms of government. We tend to think of a nation as a government, but frequently in context in the Bible, the term is talking about people, groups, in all their variations, having to do with who is descended from whom and where they are living. Seven, along the same lines, a study of history shows that most people groups have mixed with others in ways that make it impossible to differentiate between them in our day and age. And you can look up Nathaniel Jeanson's work on Answers in Genesis or his book Traced. Recognizing this phenomenon shows how amazing it is that God has preserved the Hebrews as distinct to this day. 8. God can be speaking of completely punishing and wiping out the majority of the then-current predominantly corrupt generation in Hosea in the nation then, an appropriate judgment for their absolute rejection of him while he's still talking about preserving the nation or the people at some time in the future, people who will, a remnant of them, who will finally turn to him in faith. And this is talked about in places like 2 Kings 19, 30-31, Nehemiah 1-3, Isaiah 1-9, 10, 20, 37, 32, Jeremiah 31, 7 through 8, Ezekiel 6, 8, Joel 2, 32, Micah 2.12 and Zephaniah 2.9, and that's just a few of the places. So when we read Hosea, yes, the judgment on the people living then happened. It was carried out. Many died. Some were taken captive. It is out of those that the remnant who will finally recognize Jesus as the Messiah to their nation will come. 
he is already the savior of individuals of Hebrew descent who have accepted him in faith, but he will still come as king over the world, ruling via their seat of government. This comes from reading all of scripture and helps line up Hosea to be properly understood. So that was a long introduction. Let's go to the chapter of Hosea 13, verse 1. It begins with contrasting Ephraim's prior strength and how people trembled at it with what happened to them as a people when they began to pursue Baal worship. They started worshiping with golden calves when the kingdom was divided, and then they proceeded to Baal worship, particularly under Ahab and Jezebel. Then in verse 2, he emphasizes that they are actually making the very idols they worship. It's their handiwork. And then we have the gruesome reality of human sacrifice spoken of, uh, the same as it is mentioned in Hosea 5.2 and Hosea 9.13. Their children are not safe with them. In verse 4, when it says he was their God from the land of Egypt, it is using that in the sense of from that time, like in other places when it says from the beginning. Isaiah 43.11 is another place that also says, besides me, there is no Savior as that particular phrase ends in verse 4. In verse 5, he says, I knew you, and that can be translated as I cared for you. This isn't some passing acquaintance. When you say you know someone and someone thinks you don't know them, they get offended. They feel it is presumptuous. And sometimes in our society today, we shorten we know of someone or have spoken with someone or know about them to saying we know them, but that's not the real meaning of the word. Deuteronomy 2.7 and 32.10 also show that Moses describes how Yahweh blessed them and knew them in the wilderness. And then Deuteronomy 8.15 specifically warns about forgetting Yahweh when they will be taken care of, and that was also mentioned in Hosea 12.8. The simile of the mother bear is also used in 2 Samuel 17.8 and is explained there as indicating that the person has a mighty, fierce determination in battle. In Hosea chapter 13, verse 9, it explains part of what I was summarizing in my long introduction. He is their help. He is their only Savior, and they are against him. That leads to destruction in more ways than one. In verse 10, he refers to 1 Samuel 8, 5, and 1019, where they begged Samuel for a king, and that was the beginning of rejecting God. But because he is God and he can use all things, he will use this to still be their king as we will get Jesus Christ through the line of the Messiah and then his second coming where he rules victorious. Verse 13 got me really picturing a woman in labor and the son refusing to be born. It's just Sounds like a horrible situation. So he's refusing to be born in rebellion, refusing life, and causes great pain and suffering for both of them. For the people are both the woman in labor and the son. Isaiah chapter 13 uses this same illustration much more thoroughly. You can see that there in verses 6 through 11. And then in Hosea chapter 13, we have in the middle of all of this horrible pending judgment, what Paul quotes in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 54 through 55 about death, where is your sting? Through 
Hosea, and in the midst of explaining the current situation, Yahweh offers hope to those who will listen. He will provide a ransom from death. Building on the promise that began with Eve, continued through Abraham and David, and in spite of sin, God has a victory he will work out. But right now in Hosea, in verse 14 as it ends and goes into verse 15, it is time for these particular wildly rebellious people to be judged. He cannot let their wickedness continue unabated. This is similar to what is said in Jeremiah 15, 6 and 4, 11 through 12. For in Jeremiah 4, 11 through 12, it supports the point of view that the east wind that we talked about in Hosea 12, 1 is destructive. So as Hosea chapter 13 is finishing up for verse 16, there is a cross reference to 2 Kings 8, 12 and 2 Kings 15, 16. In 2 Kings 8.12, Elisha is weeping and uses the same terminology of dash their little ones and rip open pregnant women. I have heard some say that this is war hyperbole, and it doesn't always mean that this specifically happened. And that may be so in some cases, but I would also argue that it became a phrase for a reason. And this sort of violence does happen in battle, and men, people are wicked and kill innocent people, innocent bystanders, including children. So what is being described here in Hosea is that these innocent babes will die because of the sin of their parents' wickedness when judgment comes on the land, but we can rest assured that God is not unjust. Plus, there is evidence in the Bible that babies have a special mercy extended to them since they are not yet mentally developed to choose faith. And I'll refer you to Mike Winger's series on that. Plus, there are worse things than physical death. If only the people who were alive at the time Hosea was giving his message had paid attention to that fact. That's all for today. Thanks for listening. That is the Bible News Press segment for today, but not the end of our journey. 